0: Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It's been a crazy week here in Athens. And so, as, as I record on Friday afternoon, everything seems to have calmed down a little bit. So, Jake Fromm has decided this week that he is going to the NFL. Cade Mays has decided this week that he is going to Tennessee. And it hasn't been confirmed yet. But it does look like Georgia has already locked down that transfer quarterback, the graduate transfer that uh, we talked about on the podcast earlier this week. And it looks like it's going to be Wake Forest uh, quarterback Jamie Newman. I'm going to do a more in-depth conversation about Newman next week as we kind of tie everything up about Jake Fromm, kind of his career, what it means, and then start kind of previewing a little bit the quarterback position moving into the spring and ultimately into next fall. But today we're gonna focus in on the national championship game. It feels like it has been so long since we had the college football playoff semifinal games almost two weeks ago now. But finally, after a lot of waiting and a lot of talk, Clemson and LSU get ready to square off in New Orleans on Monday night I think the game is scheduled to kick off, or start at eight o'clock, meaning it'll probably start about eight thirty and most likely it will not end until after midnight. But what can we expect from this game now, I watched a couple of games from LSU throughout this season I, I specifically watched the entire Auburn game, watched a little bit of the auburn or the lSU Florida game, watched all of the lSU Alabama game. Obviously, watched them play Georgia in the SEC championship game. And I caught bits and pieces throughout the year. And I was very impressed and am very impressed, uh, especially coming off the SEC championship game and LSU's demolishing of Oklahoma in the college football playoff. I have to admit... I haven't watched as much of Clemson. A lot of that has to do with Clemson's schedule, the lack of marquee games. I watched them play Texas A&M earlier in the year, and I watched just a little bit of the ACC title game. But I don't know. There's part of me that really just feels like Clemson is being way undervalued and underestimated coming into this game. LSU has had an historically good season. They have beaten a lot of top 25 teams, they have a lot of impressive wins, but I think we forget that Clemson is the reigning defending national champion. And so for the preview this week, rather than me just telling you what I think, I'm going to do something we haven't done yet. So for the first time on the podcast, the national championship preview, and we tacked on at the end predictions, is an interview with a friend of mine, Jeremy Timmerman, who is a huge Clemson fan, and he gives us a a view from the couch, but maybe a view from a different couch. So I hope you enjoy the episode this week. So we're trying something a little bit different this week. I've got a Clemson super fan. I don't know if he called himself a super fan, but I think he's a super fan. Uh, Jeremy Timmerman, who used to oh, write for the <laughs> used to write for the Aiken Standard, uh, now has gotten into um a much more happy way of life. But this week he's he's gonna give us a view from Clemson. So obviously most of the podcast centers around the University of Georgia, but unfortunately for all of us Georgia fans, we'll have to wait at least one probably more than one more year uh to, to be back in the national title game. So this year Clemson had a very interesting season. Obviously undefeated, very successful, but not very respected so Jeremy what did this season feel like as a Clemson fan as it progressed well it it kind of goes back to something you
1: said on a podcast a couple weeks ago 2015 for Clemson and Clemson fans was a lot like year 2017 where if you're smart and you were you realize early on it's never going to be like this again right mm, yeah that was tw- that was 2015 for me where any week they could have lost. I had seen it happen in 2011 and 2012 and 2013. They could have lost, and it's all over. And they didn't. And it was just fun. Like, it was house money after about week eight, where at any point this could end, and it'll be fun. Even when Clemson lost to Alabama the way they did in that national championship game, it didn't matter. I was still happy. Not that I didn't want to win, you know, but I was still happy about the ride. Absolutely. And then every year since has been just like this one where every week. And this one was, was weird because like the ACC was down and I know that the ACC was down because I wasn't excited to watch a single Clemson football game after Texas A&M. And it wasn't just that Texas a and M's in the SEC and they're that much better. It was just that that was the game. They won that one every week after that. It was like, all right, just hope they don't mess it up. Hmm. I just hope they don't mess it up because I know you can't lose to this year's Syracuse team and go to the playoffs. You just can't. You can't lose to this year's North Carolina, this year's anybody, and go
0: to the playoffs. Well, um, Well, you brought up North Carolina. Let's pause there for a second because I think that was the game that got held against Clemson from a national perspective, pretty much all year, and why Clemson, of the three undefeated teams that kind of made it through the season, Clemson was always three because of a win on the road at North Carolina that wasn't as impressive as people thought it should have been.
1: Well, and and this is where, and, and you and I talked about this, because it, you and I spoke right after Davo's infamous press conference where he brought up Georgia, and he specifically brought up Georgia. Um, and a lot of folks acted like that wasn't Accurate, but if you looked at it, like you said, every time anybody talked about Clemson, even though by that point they were six weeks removed from it and hadn't lost by less or hadn't won by less than thirty points, and a lot of weeks were winning by forty points and scoring fifty or sixty, and yet when anybody who talked about college football talked about, it, I was like, "Yeah, well, they almost lost to North Carolina." Meanwhile, national radio hosts and regional radio hosts, not just Georgia folks, were talking about, well, if Georgia can do this, can they get in the playoffs? When Georgia <laughs> had a loss to a South Carolina team that lost to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, when, you, when you're a football coach and your job is to get, you know, you see it with Saban, you've seen it with Curry Smart, you see it with Dabo. when your job in this era and in the BCS era is to sell your program to these voters and these comm- of course you're going to say, wait a second, you guys are actively trying to get a Georgia team that lost to South Carolina into the playoffs when we – when our greatest sin is we almost lost to a team that beat them. And so it, that was frustrating, but it was still – everything was in front of Clemson. Sure. Everything was always in front of Clemson. You win, you're in. There was never a doubt that if Clemson won out, they'd be in the playoffs. And really, at the end of the day – would you want to be number one and get to play Oklahoma instead of Ohio State first? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, Clemson was going to have to beat either LSU or Oklahoma win a title. Now they just have to be both of them.
0: Well, and that leads perfectly into the playoff game. So, you know, for, for me, for a not a fan of a team that wasn't in the playoff, I really, I was excited to watch the two playoff games. Um, I I think I could speak for most people who watch both games back to back that uh, it was pretty exhausting.
1: That was wiped
0: out, <laughs> having especially having to watch that LSU Oklahoma game and just you know just be amazed at the the level of play LSU showed the uh, lack of fight from Oklahoma, but then the the Ohio State LSU game is or sorry the Ohio State Clemson game very competitive very back and forth. But of course, the narrative coming out of that game was still that Clemson maybe got lucky, maybe benefited from all the calls. I know uh, you know Feinbaum, I know he's your favorite, but Feinbaum spent pretty much the entire following Monday allowing people to call into the show and, and spread their conspiracy theories. You know, Herb Street uh, tweeted about it that if there was going to be a conspiracy from ESPN, they would have wanted Ohio State in the championship game over. Clemson. Uh, so how did those controversial calls and just kind of the way that semifinal went, how did that kind of, you know, resonate with the Clemson fans or do you even care? You're in the title game. Do you even care? Well, one, I don't care um, because <laughs> if you've watched
1: Ohio state, I know that like I a lot of sec fans and you're not one of them. And there's a lot of folks that are listening to you that this podcast that aren't like this, but they watched the three thirty CBS game. If there's a good 7 seven thirty SEC game, they watch that. That's really it. They don't watch. other. Ohio State has benefited from more stupid calls and more <laughs> stupid. They have almost benefited. In fact, Ohio State benefits from more stupid stuff, like those kind of penalties, those kind of bad calls, or those kind of controversial calls, than even Alabama. Ohio State, every week, every time they play somebody that might beat them, they get one of those, was it a fumble or was it an incompletion? I don't know. There's one of those every time, and it goes their way every time. So I don't even feel bad. Even if it's not the right call, I don't feel bad well, because
0: and, and the Ohio irony, State normally gets that. The irony of that is Ohio State blatantly in the early 2000s won a national championship on a terrible call uh, in that overtime game against Miami back in the BCS in, era and i'm pretty sure that was the fiesta bowl too so it was
1: it was you know what take that and like it i don't care um <laughs> and I, you know in in this, each of those calls the targeting call i think it's the right call by the way the rule is written i think it's the right call uh trevor is is the definition of defenseless he's obviously trying to just lay down he has that natural reaction of I'm about to get killed. And you try to, like, <laughs> oh, God, this is going to hurt. And he buckles up a little bit. But, of course, because he does that, his head does drop a little bit. I still think if he's standing at full 6'6", six, six, the guy's helmet glances off his shoulder, hits him in the helmet, it's still targeting. Because it was a poorly aimed tackle. What nobody who wanted Clemson to not be in the national championship game will admit is that this kid had Trevor Lawrence dead to rights. If he right. tackles him at the waist, the hip, the belly button, if – He grabs him by the leg and does a wrestling trip move. If he does that, Trevor Lawrence is getting sacked. There was no escape. But he chose the most risky angle to tackle Trevor because he wanted the big hit, and that's the kind of hit the targeting rule is trying to eliminate, those unnecessarily vicious hits. That's the kind of thing. Do I think he was trying to knock Trevor out? No. I think he was trying to make a big hit, trying to make a big play, and he got caught doing something stupid.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the the thing for me watching the SEC every week, and that was an SEC crew that had that game.
1: Oh, you knew it was going to be targeting.
0: It it was targeting. It it you know that that's how it's called in the SEC. I I don't know the numbers, but it feels like somebody's getting kicked out of every single SEC game for targeting. They love calling targeting, and so when you are going to have conference officials, you know I think Georgia saw against Baylor in the uh, Sugar Bowl. Pass interference was being called for things that typically in an SEC game, you're probably not calling pass interference for, but it wasn't an SEC crew. So things just kind of, they get called differently. So watching the game, as soon as it went, and, and you know, I know a lot of people were upset because it came from the booth. Again, that's something that happens quite frequently in the SEC is that the booth will make that call and then eject a player. So overall, the perception, at least my perception, and I, you know, I will say this, that coming into this game, I don't have a dog in the fight. Uh, all of the years watching uh, Clemson play Alabama in national championship games, my heart is always with, well, if a good friend can be happy, I'll take that. So I, I, I wouldn't say necessarily I root for Clemson, but if I had my preference, Clemson wins. I'm going to be honest with you and say that in this game, LSU – it's not that – it's not anything against Clemson. My question is, from a Clemson fan's perspective, coming into this game, how do you view LSU? I know how I view LSU, but how do you view them? Well, I don't know if I told you this, but I definitely told other people this.
1: At first, <clears throat> I was kind of aggravated about play- – because I think they're a worse matchup for Clemson. Okay. Um, maybe LSU's better. They're just very different teams. Um With Ohio State, you have so much to prepare for. You've got the running back that's probably the best running back in the country when he's healthy, or or he's one of them. Um, He's at least that Dalvin Cook, like, you better tackle him now or he's gone. Um, And he did that to Clemson a couple of times. And they've got a quarterback that can get away. When he gets away, he can make a play with his arm or his legs. They've got receivers that can make plays. They've got good front seven guys. They've got good defensive backs. They've got everything and so they're complicated they're harder to prepare for i think with lsu at least from a clemson perspective you can either t- you can either put joe burrow on his back or you can't and if you can't you can beat him you know because nobody's done it right uh if you can't put him on his back you're either going to lose or you're going to have to of course get 60 to win that's just that's the way it is and so for me I feel good about Clemson's offense against the LSU defense. Right. Um, dude, I, I, and when I say that, I don't mean, oh, they're going to light him up. I mean, Clemson can score 35 or 40 on LSU. I feel right. pretty good about that. Um, and I feel good about stopping the the LSU running game or at least keeping him from doing what Dobbins did on a couple of big plays. What I don't feel good about is getting the, the right pressure on Joe Burrow to put him on his back because just pressure isn't enough. Against Tua – you could put enough – what we saw against Clemson last year, and Georgia did it too. If you put enough pressure on Tua, you can get him to do some stupid stuff. Yes, um, he would force things. You can't do that with Joe Burrow because he gets out and he still settles down and he still makes a good pass. So you have to actually put him on – you can't – pressure isn't enough. Similar to Trevor. They're, they're very similar in that regard is that it, just making him move isn't enough. You have to actually lay him down. and I, I'm, I'm honestly, that's the biggest question for me. I don't know
0: if they can do that. So kind of sticking with LSU, and then we'll kind of swing back around to Clemson. You said you feel good about the LSU defense versus the Clemson offense kind of uh, that matchup. One thing that, I mean, I felt like even with Georgia's struggles on offense. I felt like Georgia could have done some things and had some opportunities against the LSU. But how much of this narrative that we've seen over the past, you know, month and a half, I guess of of real life, how much of the narrative of LSU's defense improving at the end of the season is really just based on the success they had against Texas A&M, the the way they shut down Georgia which that Georgia's offense when you look at the entire season not impressive. And then Oklahoma's just complete inability to do anything against that LSU defense. Has the LSU defense, in your opinion, really improved, or have they just benefited from the fact that the teams that they've played have played poorly against them?
1: It's a little of both because, I mean, yes, they've gotten better. Shutting down that Texas A&M offense the way LSU did, that's the most impressive thing that defense did to me all season. And a lot of people are going to, you know, that, that, that'll raise some eyebrows because Texas A&M, you know, they were 7-5. and five, But, I mean, if you look at their schedule, Texas A&M could have been the 13th best team in the country and been 7-5. and five. Yeah, absolutely. If the 13th best, you know, statistically I know weird things happen with matchups, but if statistic, if, if just logically if the 13th best team in the country or fourteen played that schedule they would be 7-5. and five. Yeah. So, and what, what Texas A&M has is a weird offense. They're not great, but Kellen Mond makes plays. You saw it against Clemson last year. You didn't see it as much against Clemson this year. You saw it against LSU last year. You saw it in some other games for Texas. You saw it for stretches against Georgia. He makes plays and he got giant receivers. That's a problem. If you've got an athletic run, an athletic quarterback and giant receivers, they can give you problems. And they did not. LSU just beat the tour out of them. And kept them from doing anything that was impressive to me oklahoma they made the plays late that wasn't it was kind of like alabama uh it was kind of like alabama it wasn't to the same degree but it was kind of like the alabama oklahoma game last year where eventually oklahoma scored it was just too late um and georgia like you said the plays were there just Um, missed story of the life (laughs) but sometimes and sometimes when you play a theme like an lsu or like Alabama last year, or like Clemson has been in the past, and, and some this year, when you know that they're probably going to score every time. And you don't for one
0: drive, two drives. That changes your personality. Ab- absolutely. I That is, I think, to me, the, the most interesting part of this game. I, I mean, I could see it being a shootout. I could see it being back and forth. I could also see... Given different circumstances, either one of the teams being able to pull away and win by a couple of touchdowns, I think the 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 thing that I could see happening that had to me that happened with lSU so often if Clemson starts slow on offense, what it's going to do to Clemson just the feel for Clemson's offense because lSU will most likely and they have Obviously, the the, the biggest example of that was when they came out and just blew the doors off Oklahoma in the first half. But in a way, the best defense that LSU has is going out there and scoring touchdowns because when they do that, it just makes the pressure compound on the opposing offense. Especially when they do it the way they do it. Because it's one thing like, Clemson had some trouble.
1: But if you looked at the rest of the game, Dobbins had what seemed like 400 yards and 380 of it was on like three carries. That, that's what right. it felt like because Clemson would stop him for a loss, stop him for two yards, stop him for a loss. And he's gone for 75 yards, which is the exact same thing Dalvin Cook used to do to him. It, they, they'd wear him down, wear him down, wear him down. He'd break one off. They'd wear him down, wear him down, wear him down, which is fine when you win, you know, 35 to 10 down. That's fine. Go ahead. You can have it. But – when it's a game like this one, where you let him get a 50 yard run when you really needed to stop, that's that's a little bit more problematic. Um, but those kind of scores, just like if we can just stop him that one time instead of letting him, we're fine. With the way LSU does it, the way they, you know, when you think you've got Burrow hemmed in and he rolls out and Jefferson is in the perfect spot and he hits him for a 30 yard gain, you feel like there's nothing we can do. We're getting pressure on him. They're scoring in big chunks. They're scoring whenever they want. We're defending it well. It's just not working. And especially if you're Oklahoma and I don't know if anyone trained their defensive backs to actually look for the ball <laughs> because I don't they still don't know that there was a football in that game. I'm convinced of it because they didn't look at the football all night.
0: Well, and and I I would say like Georgia kind of plays that same way, where they they're trying to play the man. Well, so often in that game against LSU, that they're playing the man and they watch the man catch the ball. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest. The uh, I, I watched the Clemson Texas A and M game, and that was the last full game before the playoff game that I watched. I peek at it. I you know I actually watched a good bit of the North Carolina game, but we we're not going to talk about that. Uh, obviously, I was the jinx in that situation. Um, so, are Clemson's defenders, uh, specifically cornerbacks and safeties, are they more uh, adept at playing the ball in the air, or are they going to try that same style of playing the man and then maybe whipping the head around right at the last second?
1: Well, and this is where it's scary, because other than Justin Fields, we haven't seen anybody that's really tested it. Good Um, point. Even Jamie Newman, who is a hot (laughs) name in Athens
0: right now. (laughs) Greatest quarterback. I've, I've heard he is the greatest quarterback in the history of college football. Is that true? Now, I've never Clemson, seen him play. Clemson
1: threw him around and he did nothing. I mean, he just oh. did nothing. But it reminded me of so many high school football games I've been to and covered where you're like, I know this kid is good, but he might be the fourth best player on the field and the other top 30-er on the other team.
0: <laughs> so just just one man against the whole army.
1: Yeah, I mean, and nothing against the Wake Forest guys. I mean, I'm not like if there's like a, a, a Wake Forest fan out there. I've never personally met one, but I know they exist. They'd have and to. they have to exist. There are people in the stadium. I know it happens. <laughs> it's just – it's Clemson. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's like when you play Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, when you play those kind of teams, most of the most talented players are on the, are on the other side of the ball from you. And, and that's just what I – so I don't know with Jamie Newman how much of it was he just didn't have any help that could match up with the guy across from him but he just sure. didn't look great against Clemson. He didn't provide me any kind of window of, okay, this is what they can do against a good passer. Uh, Justin Fields, I thought they did fine against him. Um, he didn't kill him, but Justin Fields was nowhere near 100%. For anybody, you know, I know that Justin Fields is another hot name in Athens. Everybody wants to compare him with Jake Fromm this year to what Justin Fields did, and there was some relief when Justin Fields threw what looked like a god-awful pick at the end of the game against Clemson.
0: Yeah, we uh, the the only cheers that even came close to rivaling those of Clemson fans were those of Georgia fans. Who uh, he's dead to us. Uh, the for last a lot of thing
1: reasons, the last thing you didn't need was to see him throw a touchdown pass <laughs> to get them to the national championship game, right? Like that's
0: the last thing you needed. Especially after this past week. I mean, if you just think, okay, let's say Ohio State wins that game, and we're oh, we're looking at LSU and Ohio State. Oh, and, and Jake's off the leaving week now. Oh, uh, uh, and Pinky Gate and everything else we've had to deal with. Yeah, that, that – you know, we're very happy for Clemson that you guys are uh, in that national championship yeah, game. Yeah, that,
1: that, that was – but, like, Justin Fields was nowhere close to, to 100%. But even still, I, I felt good about the way the defensive backs played. Tenner Muse can't cover anybody. I hope to God that LSU never runs a four-receiver set or, or a, or a five-receiver set. It's to the point Isaiah Simmons is a linebacker and a pretty good pass rusher, but I would rather have him in coverage. Than our like five year starting safety. He's been there far too long. I'm ready to see him go. God bless Tanner Muse. He he did make that game saving tackle against J.K. Domins, and I'm not sure how he caught him. But he's,
0: when he's in coverage, he's, it terrifies me. He's on the Aaron Murray plane where he he he's there for four or five years, but it seems like he's been there for twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So So, Jeremy, I'm going to throw some facts at you, and these are not going to be any things that you don't know, but just for anybody else that doesn't understand, coming into this game again, and I think you'll start seeing it after the NFL playoff games this week. You know, Monday is going to be a full day on ESPN, getting ready for the national championship game on Monday night, and the narrative is going to be about the amazing season that LSU and Joe Burrow have had this year. You're going to hear the fact that they're undefeated, that, you know, that for the second straight year, Clemson is going to have to face what could be the greatest college football team in the history of college football. That, that's the narrative for LSU coming into this game. But here's some things about Clemson that people may not have been able or may not have put together. Clemson has won 29 straight games. That's the longest winning streak, current winning streak in college football. Hit. Uh, Clemson has a starting quarterback that is, let me check that, yeah, 25-0. and 0. He's never lost a game. Clemson comes into this game with a coach that has two national championships and a program that has been in the college football playoff for the fifth consecutive year now. Coincidentally, in the storied history of the college football playoff, Clemson and Alabama now tied for the most appearances. Uh, The tied not in it. This year, Clemson missed the first one. Other than that, we've had Clemson and Alabama every single year. But amazingly, as the reigning, defending national champion, got no respect throughout the entire year and Vegas has this game I you know I know it's all over the place but the, the where I look today playing in New Orleans on Monday night Vegas has LSU favored by 6 points over the undefeated undisputed defending national champions so Jeremy tell me how Clemson wins this game
1: well I mean the way Clemson wins this game is they can't, I don't think they can start off slow like they did against, did against Ohio State. I think it was good for their team character to have that experience of starting slow and then coming back and winning against a, a team that no one can say wasn't good. Um, I think that builds character for them. I think it's good that they had that experience, but they can't do that again. They've got to come out and get points on the first drive. I don't think it's a matter of, because Clemson's defense is good enough, I don't think it's a matter of you can't kick a field goal. Now, because of B.T. Potter's inconsistency, they may not be able to kick a field goal. But right. if – I don't think they need to get in that thought of it's fourth and five from the 12. Should we go for it? No, kick the field goal, take the points, but score early. Score early. And, and the other way they get uh, – they can win is get pressure on Joe Burrow and get him on his back. It's not enough. And some of that's going to be doing something that they haven't really liked to do under Brent Venables. Brent Venables likes to get pressure with just four or five guys, uh, man up with the defensive, man up with the offensive line, and somebody wins his matchup and gets to the quarterback. They may have to bring some pressure from some weird spots and, and trust, you know, trust some guys in man-to-man coverage on the outside. And, um, maybe even get into a little bit of zone on the outside. And they hate doing that. They love playing man, um, but the, I don't know that this – now, this was a year ago? Yeah, Cleveland Farrell can go get him. Right. Uh But it's not a year ago. And this defense statistically is better, but they don't have that guy. They don't have a right. guy like Cleveland Farrell against Notre Dame just took over and said, no, Ian Book, you're not going to do a thing tonight. You're going to sit down there and you're going to like it. They don't have anybody who can do that yet. They're all young. Um, So – it's going to be a team effort. It's going to have to be bringing some pressure from some weird spots, and they've got to put Joe Burrow on his back because against a guy like Joe Burrow, like Georgia saw it, Oklahoma definitely saw it. When he gets six, seven, eight seconds, all of a sudden the defensive backs are guarding a route that wasn't on, the pl- that wasn't on film because the receiver's making it up. Right. And when the receiver's making it up, he's got the advantage. Um and you can't let Joe Burrow get to that point over and over and over again. He's going to do it at some point. At some point, he's going to break loose. He's going to throw a 40-yard touchdown pass to somebody who was out there running donuts on the, uh, near the sideline. It's going to happen. But they can't let it happen over and over again. They've got to put him on his back. They've got to make him uncomfortable, and they've got to make him think about it. He doesn't have to think most of the time. He's just doing his thing. Um, make him think about the fact that you're coming. And, and th- that's the
0: key. How much do you think You know, – I'm, I'm really glad you brought up Venables. How much is this game going to come down to Joe Brady versus Brent Venables? That's the matchup. That, that's the matchup. It's <laughs> got nothing to do with anybody on the field. It's those two assistant coaches that that really are going to decide this game. Well, and, and because and
1: it's this, it was the same way with, with Clemson against Alabama. It would have been the same way if, if, if Clemson had gotten to play one of these really good Georgia teams. The, Mac, the, the players on the field are so evenly matched. Mm. Trevor Lawrence is Joe is is Joe Burrow but younger and probably a little faster. Joe Burrow is is Trevor Lawrence but he's a little bit smarter all the time. Um Trevor's probably got a better arm. He's got a cannon for an arm, but but Joe Burrow seemingly this year has not made a mistake. I haven't seen him make a throw where I was
0: like, well that was stupid. Exactly. That that was going to be my next question. What if? What if Burrow comes out and, you know, whether they're able to sack him or not, if they get a couple hits on him, if he throws a pick early, does this guy, I mean, he strikes me though, as the kind of guy that's like, if he threw a pick, it's like, oh, okay. So my line's going to be five touchdowns and a pick tonight. Oh, well, it'll still be fine. I, I, I don't know. We haven't seen it. That's the thing. Everybody talks about, you know, talked about coming to the playoffs and it
1: was right. I mean, I think you and I talked about it and, and we, you asked me, do I think Clemson not really being tested all year? Is that going to matter? Right. Uh, exactly, and I think it affected them. I think they came out. They placed. They played a team that, for most of the night, looked better. If we're being honest. Ohio State looked better, top to bottom, than Clemson did most of the night. And they didn't. They took them a little bit to adjust to that. Um, LSU has not experienced that all year. They were the better team all year at every juncture. Now we didn't know they were the better team than Texas, but they were. Right, we didn't know for sure they were the better team than Florida, but they were. They were the better team at every juncture. Even though the Alabama final score looked close, yes. you and I watched the first half
0: of that game together. LSU was in control the whole time. Right, and I and I mean it was it was very close at the beginning of that second half of just being a complete blowout. One play, a complete and it's a blowout. blowout, absolutely, and, absolutely, and so the, the the real
1: question here is what's going to happen if let's say. Clemson gets the ball first. They score, and Burrow has a three and out, and it's a near pick. Let's don't even go as, as far as a pick six like what Tua experienced last year, but he throws one of those passes like both Ohio State and Clemson had one that if the guy just gets his hands on it, it's a pick six. Right. You know, let's say he has one of those where he, made a, he makes a mistake. It doesn't cost him, but the drive's over, and, he's, and, and they punt to the Clemson down seven to nothing. What do they do? How does he respond to that? Because we haven't seen him have to respond to that all year, and
0: it, it has possible. seemed absolutely. It has seemed like every single time. Obviously, LSU doesn't score a touchdown on every single drive. However, it has seemed like every time they needed to score a touchdown, every time you know in the in the second half against Alabama, once Alabama had made that run in the third quarter, they come back in the fourth quarter, and it was. Alabama scoring to get the get the score to like four or five and then LSU scores right after that and so they were never at a point where Alabama was with the ball with an opportunity to take the lead because Burrow just kept going down the field at that point so I think it is a huge storyline in this game early if for whatever reason LSU doesn't come out clicking now right the last thing I want to get you to do before we just give a prediction here um Let's take a 10,000-foot view of this for both teams. We'll start with Clemson. If Clemson wins this game, doesn't matter how, doesn't matter score, Clemson wins this game, what does that mean for Clemson and what does that mean for college football?
1: Well, and I'm uncomfortable saying this, to be honest. I'm not one of these people who wants to say what I'm about to say. But I think – if Clemson wins this over LSU and they're 30-0 and and they've won three of the last four college football playoff titles and they played for four of the six championship games and they've got the guy at quarterback that just won those last two coming back, they're, they're the top dog. They should have been yeah. this year. But yeah. the, there's, no, there's really no way, especially with Alabama, Tua's gone. And I know Mac Jones is, is the second greatest quarterback in all of college football history, if you ask your friends in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> and never fear, if, he, uh, if, if he's not, baby Tagabaloa is the other one. He's, he's, he's definitely the, the second best quarterback. I know all that. But with all the quarterbacks that are leaving the SEC – and with all the talent Clemson has coming back, if they win this one, they're the top dog. And it's their world. And everybody's going to roll their eyes all of next year because newsflash, there's only like one team on Clemson's schedule next year that's probably, that, that has a real shot at beating them. Now, that doesn't mean Clemson can't slip up against a North Carolina type or a Pitt. I'll be frank. I don't remember who all they play next year. But it's nobody that's this scary other than like maybe one team.
0: I, I believe Notre Dame's on the schedule
1: next year. We'll, we we'll, can we'll, we'll check that. Yeah. I think, sure.
0: I, I think so. I think, I
1: think Notre Dame's on there. But the point is, this is something that people are going to be frustrated because Clemson's going to be talked about as the, uh, the top dog and they're, they're not really going to get tested most of next year. But that, I mean, I, I really can, can you see another, another way to look at them if they win this game against, and it's back to back, like you said, back
0: to back. This is the best college football team ever. And Clemson beats Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think if you look at, even if Clemson doesn't win this game, I still think they've got the best program in the country. And, you know, the number one recruiting class so far this year, obviously a couple weeks left in this uh, signing period uh, before uh, signing day in a couple weeks. But, man, I, I don't see how they're not already the number one program. And I know if, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, you want know, to look at a decade, well, it's still Alabama. But right now, there's not a team out there you know, th- there was a period of time where everybody was looking at, the, at, at Alabama and how great they were, and the narrative was that the SEC was down. And I think really what it happens is when you have a team get dominant like that, and what we saw with Alabama is there was a period of time where they were completely dominating everybody on their schedule. Every once in a while they'd have a slip-up in the regular season, but they were the best team and the best program in the country for a long period of time. And then what started happening? Well, LSU's got a new coach. Auburn had to make a coach after or coaching change after Gene Chizik. Texas A&M goes out and hires Jimbo Fisher. All of the teams, Kirby Smart, Tennessee, Florida, everybody, <coughs> new coaches, all of the teams that are competing with Alabama realize, hey, we are nowhere near their level. We have to do something different. Do you think we see that in the ACC over the next few years? We've already seen it at Florida State. You know, Willie Taggart got like five minutes, and it was like, okay, no, we're, we're not doing this.
1: Well, the problem with the ACC, and, and the ACC created this problem because they had opportunities to get schools like West Virginia, who are historically more competitive at football than schools like Pitt, um, hmm. and really not that far behind in basketball. But for some reason, the ACC really wanted Pitt. They got Pitt instead of West Virginia. They've had opportunities to expand in a football. Mindset, but since they picked up Miami and Virginia Tech in 2004, whatever year that was, they haven't really added anybody who I mean, it's not that Pitt doesn't try in football, but like that's not their that they don't that's not a program who's going to go, okay, that's it, we're going to get Urban Meyer. That's that, right? It's not, there's nobody outside of Clemson, Tallahassee, and Louisville, maybe. Uh, that, that's going to go and say, we've got to get – we've got to beat Clemson. We've got – but you have that in the SEC. You have Mississippi State who's never done anything other than being the number one team in the country for a week.
0: The first ever college football playoff. I mean, don't don't get that You can win wrong.
1: so many bar trivia like that. <laughs> that. <laughs> because you talk about, okay, the college football playoff era has been the last six years. Who was the first ever number? was? Well, it
0: got to be Alabama, well, maybe LSU. Nope, Mississippi State. Mississippi State, that's right. And, Dan Mullen and Mississippi but State they with Dak Prescott. But
1: other than that,
0: Mississippi State's never
1: done anything. They went and got Mike Leach. Maybe Mike Leach is not a national championship coach, but no one in the ACC outside of three or four programs would make that kind of hire.
0: Yeah, I mean they're 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 paying Mike Leach. I haven't seen the number, but I guarantee you it's it's at least five and probably a little bit higher than that. Yeah, because that's that's the going rate for coaches. I think Sam Pittman just got like five, and he's never even been a coordinator. So at Arkansas, yeah. So
1: that's something that's got to frustrate people outside
0: of outside of
1: Clemson, South Carolina. That not only is is Clemson the top dog, especially if they win this game, but. Most of the teams on their schedule aren't really trying to be better than Clemson. Now, that's not to say you don't have a team like Wake Forest was a lot better than Clemson made them look this year. They had a couple of injuries that weren't well-timed, and they're already not deep enough to really hang with Clemson, and then they were missing some guys that would have at least allowed them to maybe put up a fight. Um, And Clemson's got Virginia next year, and they've got Notre Dame. But other than Notre Dame, a lot of the teams on their schedule aren't trying to be better than Clemson. They're trying to win eight games. They're trying to, can we go to back-to-back bowls? Can we? And so, yeah, I think I think if Clemson wins, this is put, it puts a stamp on it.
0: Well, let's, let, let, let's flip it the other way real quick. If LSU does win this game, are they, for a single season, the most impressive or greatest, whatever adjective you want to put on it, college football team of all time
1: Uh, it's tough to argue with the teams they've beaten this one uh, you would compare at least in the modern era you'd have to compare last year's clemson team to this year's lsu team I, i would expect i would hope that last year's clemson team would have the more dominant championship victory because I hope Clemson's not about to lose by four touchdowns. (laughs) I completely understand. But if you look at the body of work, they beat Alabama when Tua was healthy ish. He wasn't not healthy. He wasn't he he had both hips working. Right. Um they beat Georgia. They beat a good really good Florida team. They beat that that made that stand up. They won their bowl game against a really good, you know, pretty good Virginia team. They beat, you know, LSU beat Auburn. Um, LSU beat Texas A&M. LSU beat a lot of really good football teams. So if they go out and they beat Clemson, you're talking about these two are the most complete, unquestioned champions that we've had in decades.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have talked around it as much as possible. Jeremy, give me your prediction, score prediction for Monday night. Who wins the game and what's the story? Right, I'm such
1: a nerd that I wanted to look up what I actually predicted the other day. I don't want to predict something different here than I did on Twitter. So why don't you go
0: ahead and give your prediction? <sighs> well, I, I, here, here's the thing. Like I said earlier, um, I, I don't have a dog in this fight. So if, if, if it's my heart and just, you know, if I can bring some happiness, a little bit more happiness to you, well, then might as well be happy. Uh, I am, I, I am hurt and I am scarred by the absolute butt kicking that LSU gave Georgia. Um, I want to, I want to be clear about something cause this is a, a thought of mine that has a changed throughout the f- past few years. This is not an sec thing. This is not a, I think LSU winning a national championship does anything for Georgia. It doesn't, if anything, it probably hurts Georgia. Uh, I think it's a good game. I think it's competitive. I mean, the the college football fan in me that's got nine months to wait for another game hopes it's competitive. Uh, I I, I just – I've never seen a team like LSU. And right now, as much as I would love it if Clemson won this game, because I think storyline-wise, it leads into next year and just, you know, a, a dynasty that maybe we have not seen in a very, very long time. I mean, I I think that's more interesting because if LSU wins, Burrow's gone. You know, Joe Brady's probably going to get hired to be, you know, an offensive coordinator in the NFL or something. He's most likely gone. This is a one-year story for LSU. I just think it's a one-year story that's going to end up with a championship. So I'm going to say 45-41 and uh, and say that LSU does end up winning the game. But uh, I think it's going to be a classic, and I think both teams play very, very well to get us there.
1: Well, we're not friends anymore. Um... (laughs) Yeah. this
0: is my last appearance on
1: this podcast I'm gone uh, no I mean it's it's logical you know I, I, don't, I don't even know uh, I, I'm, I my prediction is Clemson 42 LSU 34 a lot of that's heart a lot of that is guesswork a lot of that is hoping that that I think Clemson has the best assistant coach in the country and Brent Venables and I trust that he's got a plan for putting Joe Burrow on his back um, and that if any coordinator in the country can do something like that it's him i agree with that 100 and so I, I that that's a part of it but I, i'd be lying to you if i said that, that it's all based on x's and o's and i did some math and i ran some numbers <laughs> and this is what i think is going to happen i've done that in the past with this one but because of the nature of joe burrow i i just it's a lot of feel it's a lot of i think clemson wins 42 34 i think they do a better job defensively than lsu does and in the
0: end clemson wins well, I think it's fair to say that Clemson the best defense that LSU will play all year. Now, whether or not they're good enough, that's true. And and if what you said earlier is true, if it does require Clemson to blitz, you're talking about a split second difference between a sack and Burrow finding somebody that at that point is probably going to hit a big play if he finds the receiver on those plays. So when Clemson brings pressure i mean we could be talking a matter of inches and milliseconds between a huge play one way or a huge sack so i i I think that that is the thing for a lot of people that you know watch or or, sorry listen to this podcast they don't necessarily zoom in on things maybe the way that we do that's the thing to watch if there's a lot of blitzing if they get there clemson's going to win the game if they don't get there LSU is going to win the game. That's pretty much what it's going to be, right? That, that's the key.
1: And I think what Clemson needs to do, it, it, the, the, the biggest decision is going to be things like, and I touched on it a little earlier, and I know this is, we're, we're reaching your longest podcast, I think. Uh, <laughs> but you got me on here, and I talk a lot, so you can just blame it on me. But um, it's making decisions like it's third and nine, all right? And we can get them off the field. Let's... Gamble, Simmons, Isaiah Simmons, the one of the best, maybe the best linebacker in the country, although he's played more snaps at slot corner than he has linebacker. Fun fact. Um, let's send him on a blitz and just hope that Tanner Mews can keep his guy covered long enough that Simmons can can put Burrow on his back. Or do we make the decision, let's send Muse and hope that Simmons can cover the guy even longer and Muse can get it? Like that's, Those are the kind of decisions that Venables is going to have to make. I trust him to make them, but you're right. If they send Simmons and Muse is in coverage and somebody chips Simmons at the last second, Muse is getting torched for a 60-yard touchdown. And that's, those are the kind of decisions that – that's why Clemson's got high-paid uh, assistant coaches because those guys have to make that decision. And I can sit at home and go, you big dummy, why did you send Muse?
0: Well, well Jeremy, can you give me one promise? Can you make me one promise that they won't do what Kirby Smart did early in the game against LSU and just say, hey, we'll just drop back in coverage, we'll rush three, we'll give Burrow all day, and surely he won't find anybody when we give him ten seconds to hold the ball in the pocket. Can you promise me Brent Venables won't go that route?
1: Brent Venables is crazy, and he has other crazies on his defense, and I think if he tried to tell James Skalsky Skalsky that that was the plan, Skalsky would go rogue
0: and go hit Joe Burrow on his own. Well, they – there you go. I, I, can, I can
1: live with that. If you're wondering who James Skalski is, he's the guy who looks like he jumped in a time machine from 1995, packed his cowboy collar, and came onto the, the field. Because I have not seen a cowboy collar like that in a, at least a decade.
0: It's the Brian Cox look, right? Yeah. The, I mean, it's the, it's the one
1: that looks almost like ears coming out of the back of your collar. <laughs> he wears one of those. I don't even know where he found it. Like he, th- did they bring it with him
0: to the new field house? I have questions well we know one thing we know that somebody is going to be celebrating in death valley next year winning a national championship and we know that the tigers are going to win on monday night so there's some uh suspense that we won't have to worry about which is this the battle for the real death valley is 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 that on the line somewhere
1: no it's already been decided because
0: clemson was death valley first well there you go and on that note Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to give us a view from the couch from the Clemson point of view. Thanks, brother. Thank you. I have to admit to you that after we stopped recording, Jeremy and I stayed on and talked for about an hour about the Braves. So uh, if that's any indication, I think we're probably going to have Jeremy back on, if for no other reason that as much as I enjoy the fact that people uh, are starting to listen to the podcast and enjoy the podcast, as I've said on here before, I do the podcast to get this out. So my wife doesn't go crazy having to listen to me talk about all of this. It's an outlet for all of my thoughts and all the conversations that I have in my head all the time, a way just to get it out. So I think it's pretty fair to say that we're going to have Jeremy back to talk about some Brace stuff, because Jeremy has a very interesting Perspective when it comes to the Braves and especially a lot of the things that have happened over the last couple years as it pertains to Alex Anthopoulos and uh, the front office decisions that have been made. But we'll leave it at that for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the national championship game on Monday night. This will be the last college football game that we have for about eight months. It's a long time to SEC media days. It's a long time even to spring practice and, uh, you know, G-Day coming up still three months before we even get there so uh, I hope you enjoy the title game there has been a little bit of news later in this week if you haven't heard Mike Leach former uh, Texas Tech and now former Washington State coach has been hired at Mississippi State if you don't know anything about Mike Leach take just about five minutes throw Mike Leach press conference in your Google machine it doesn't matter which one you pick he is one of the most interesting and probably the most entertaining coach uh, as far as press conference goes and the way that he interacts with the media. Uh, he's a lot of fun. And now he, along with Ed Orgeron, Nick Saban, and, another, and all the cast of characters is a part of the SEC West. So uh, Mike Leach is going to be a very fun addition to the SEC. That's all I've got for you this week. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. And as always, go dogs.